You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome back to this episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is my best friend in the whole wide world, William. Well, not to say that I'm unflattered, but we need to get you out into some clubs and things, get you meeting some more people. There are loads of us out there. Let's sort you out socially. There are loads of Williams out there? I'm scared. There are quite a few. I was once asked to join a CompuServe group uh, of William Gallagher's. Only William Gallagher's added to it. And I turned it down because I didn't know. How would you know which one you were talking to? But yeah. (laughs) Leads to talking to oneself, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It does. Absolutely. But that's not exciting. You know what's exciting? Um, new drama episodes? No, it's not going to be the same thing as you, is it? Uh, far away, you tell me. Pointing devices within iOS 13 for iPad Pro. Okay. We don't have our fingers? You do. You do have a pointing device. It's called your finger. Yeah. I like that. But what if, what if you could use this thing called a mouse uh well that'd be nice i suppose except um i can't see myself rushing to do it i mean what if you could use a mouse or a trackpad with your ipad pro Uh, well you know i'm not against it in principle i just have no need you're going to say that you can get more precise control but in everything i ever do i can just pinch in to tap closer but clearly we differ here what's the sits at your end have you fixed this well i have i've not fixed this at all but stephen trout and smith seems to to believe that this feature is in development that this is actually in the works and that uh it's it's going to happen the thing of it is is you know it would make sense almost to just enable bluetooth but they're talking about using the usb connection Okay, the USB connection interests me because wasn't there, I think I said this to you before, I just heard some story that Craig Federici was saying all sorts of video things were going to be done. I think there's more to be found in USB-C than ever imagined, at least by me. Certainly hope so. But the, the thing for me is, you know, there's there's all these things swirling around that seem to happen if they come together the way we think they do, like support for my, mice in iOS marzipan apps for mac os this is sort of the beginning of the ipad pro becoming a computer on its own yes well it is well okay, I'm in this in the same way as a macintosh is a computer in that it's a, a device with a keyboard and a pointing device and so forth and you know that that the marzipanification of apps means that these two things then share so that iOS apps become Mac apps. And, and it's, it's an interesting thing. We're not there yet. But this is a rumor that I would expect would excite a lot of our listeners. Okay. Does it excite you? I am not an iPad user at this time. I haven't been for a year. And I'm mixed on it because I like my trackpad, but I like my trackpad in my keyboard like it is found on the MacBook Pro. Moving to something where it's an accessory feels less portable. And I think of the iPad as being the super portable thing. Good point. Yes. I just, I'm very conscious of the fact that when I first got my 12.9 inch iPad, the original one back in what, 2015, at the same time, I got a review of um, the Logitech Create thing that was a keyboard and a case for it. And it made the whole thing feel like a giant sale rather than this portable device. So as soon as I had to return it, I did. And I haven't used a case since. I I take it bare. yeah. No regrets. Well, not about that. Plenty of other regrets, but obviously I'm not going to well, tell you about yeah. those. Here, thanks for the, the offer. That take too long, I know, I know. Well, besides that, Apple has just rolled out their third public beta builds of iOS 12.3 and macOS 10.14.5. Yeah. Now, the, the there were the developer builds that came out the day before, but the public beta builds have been released. And, and basically, they're functionally the same as the developer betas. There's no additional features or changes made to these. It's just one set is under the developer agreement, and the other is under the public beta agreement. Okay. The You can participate in the public beta software program through the website, or you can also you know go ahead and get these free devices over the air. We don't recommend it because they're beta. I'm so glad they're you clearly, said that. <laughs> clearly, clearly not ready for public release or 
Apple would publicly release them. But uh, the the main attraction for iOS 12.3 is the redesigned TV app. Yes, I'm looking forward to this. I'm hoping it will change my mind about the TV app. Well, I think you need to wait until the fall, because that's when we know that the big impressions are going to be, right? You know, that's when the content's going to be there. Okay, yes. But there is content there already in the app, and it's how the app handles it that I dislike. So, oh, what you're saying is the content may be so good, it'll make me more willing to put up with whatever bits it is that I don't like. I see your argument, yes. Plenty of people endure Hulu and its abomination of an interface. I've never even seen it, actually. I mean, I don't even know if Hulu's in the UK, but I've heard the legend, I think mostly from you. Okay, yes. Is it as bad as Roku looks? Uh, Roku doesn't look especially pretty. Roku is very navigable. You can find your way around in Roku. Hulu is is just atrocious coming and going. It's 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 not the look. The look is fine enough, but trying to find anything in it is a nightmare. Hmm. Do you remember the and, olden days when things used to just be on at seven o'clock in the evening, and you'd all watch it, or you wouldn't? You're probably too young for that. But yes, okay. No, no, I'm aware. I'm aware. My my wife grew up in a country that had one television station. Okay. Was so really things were on good? at seven o'clock and you could watch it or not. Yeah. And you could not turn away to another channel. That was just, that was the channel. Okay. Right. <laughs> and if you wanted more channels, you had to get a really good antenna and try and receive them from the next country over. I feel like I've read about this in history books somewhere, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> I grew up, when I grew up, we had three channels. Oh, same here. Yes, it was a big deal it was when luxurious. the fourth came. Yes. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So anyway, in the fall, Apple TV Plus and Apple TV Channels. Now, the app that's in iOS 12.3 is is either being revised for that or is is sort of leading up to that. So that would be the reason to check this out. Okay. Right. Okay. But again, again... Don't install these on mission-critical or primary devices because there's literally anything could go wrong. You could lose all your data. Yeah, I can't we don't know. honestly remember how it was I did this or even what it was I did, but I did manage to brick an Apple device a few years ago through doing too early a beta on it. So, yes, yes, learn from me about whatever it is. I can't quite remember, but seriously, learn. Yes. Yes. Now, we've talked in the past about keyboards specifically MacBook Pro keyboards. Mm-hmm. It appears that MacBook and MacBook Pro keyboard repairs have now been prioritized in store for next day service. So what's happened is that Apple stores, this is an internal memo that was circulated Apple stores last week, headlined how to support Mac customers with keyboard repairs in store. And the document advises technicians to prioritize the work for a next day turnaround time rather than being a day uh, fixed across multiple days. Most keyboard-related repairs will be required to be completed in-store until further notice, the memo says. Additional service parts have been shipped to stores to support the increased volume. The note goes on to advise of next-day turnaround time prioritization, reminding when completing the repair, have the appropriate service guide open and carefully follow all repair steps. Now, it's not clear exactly why Apple's moving to make the keyboard repairs an in-store fix, but it's you can kind of assume that it's an attempt to appease frustrated customers by cutting down on the repair time. Normally, yeah. a typical keyboard repair would take like five days, right? It'd have to go to a separate facility. It'd be inspected, the whole thing. Yeah, I can also say outsourcing. Outsourcing is the wrong term, but you know what I mean? Um, decentralizing uh, common repairs seems like a, a good thing. And it's a good thing for the customers, too. So everybody wins. Yeah. Okay. It, it's, it's one of these things, right? There's been the lawsuits about the keyboard. There's been the the Wall Street Journal report about mm. it. There's been it, it's been a lot of stuff has led up to this. I think this is maybe one of Apple's most visible failings, as opposed to maybe their largest. Okay, I, but it's, I mean, I, I've, I always say this. Uh, it doesn't matter if there's only one failure. If it's the, yours is the machine that fails, it's it's bad. Um, I would love to know what the real figures are for this. As compared to, for example, I, Samsung foldable phones, um, <laughs> it's considerably higher percentage, but a very few items. So, yeah. 
So yeah. in that case, uh, we don't know what we still don't know what the situation is with keyboards, but we can see Apple is taking steps. So I'd rather the keyboards didn't fail, but at least they're doing something about it. Yay! Yeah. You I'm know, in a good I, I kind of wish today, aren't I? Clearly, yeah, yeah I'm you sorry. are. You're yes. really cheery. So, so I kind of wish in all this work on on the keyboard, right? So they they went for thinness. They were optimizing around thin. They were optimizing around the feel. They were trying to to figure out how they could pack it all in, and that's the source of this butterfly movement is is trying to reduce travel a little bit. Mm-hmm. The the, the keyboard fails because it gets debris or dust or something like that in the keyboard. Lenovo, a few years ago, took an opposite approach. Well, IBM ThinkPad, before Lenovo even, took an opposite approach, where they put drain channels in so that if you spilled something on the keyboard, instead of it damaging the computer, it simply drained out these drains. Okay, half of me wants to go, that's clever. Half of me wants to go, ooh, spilling stuff on your keyboard, that's a really horrible thought. But... Happens all the time. People, the worst is coffee. All right. I have taken apart computers that have been coffee spilled, Ugh. and it's just, a tr- it's everywhere. It's atrocious to clean, but it can be done. So there, there are these two sorts of avenues of approach, right? You decide when you're making a product, what are you optimizing for? Are you optimizing for size, for cost, for, for this? So Apple took, let's make it sleek, light, thin, and cost-effective, and beautiful, and, and good. And IBM at the time, and Lenovo took the pattern, let's, let's make it spill-proof. And both are reasonable paths, but it's important to know which path you're going down. And and Apple's path has led them to a lot of criticisms, I would say. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think I it's can fair. see that. Sorry, my mind's still on keyboards and things. I once literally bled over a keyboard, but I took it as, you know, hardworking BBC News journalist. You don't need to hear this story. Yes, I think you're fair. That's true. Yes. I'd rather you keep all of your, your you know, blood and other fluids inside you. Don't bleed over your keyboard. Okay. It's it like was... a biohazard. Oh, right. Okay. I thought you were thinking about me. You're thinking about the rest of the newsroom. All right. Okay. That's fine. Yes. So what happens next is the question, though, isn't it? Isn't it? Mm? Well, I mean, we, we keep hearing about the problems. We keep hearing, Now we're hearing about the repairs. What we don't know is if there will be a revision that, you know, walks this back or changes to something new. It's unclear. Actually, when was the last time the MacBook was changed? Uh, 2016. Right. So we could be coming up on one at any possible moment. And the only thing that we have in terms of patents that are are not modifications on this thing, because there was a a modification sort of patent to this, was uh, the idea of just using a whole glass panel and doing haptic feedback. Yes, and you've previously expressed some interest in this, and I've been a little bit uh, against it just from what I've seen so far. But, you know, haptic, it does work. It could happen, yeah. I mean, it's fooled you into believing that you have a mouse button that's a trackpad that clicks. That's true. I'd forgotten that. Yes, that's really quite disturbing. Um, I have Bluetooth problems, and when suddenly the trackpad doesn't work and you're pressing it, and the feel is so different. Yes, that is a good point. That's that's turning me around a little bit there. Yes, give me haptic, or give me victory. I'll take either. Or both, yeah. Yeah. But I I think the if they can fool you into believing that the trackpad clicks, they can fool you into believing that the keyboard has feel like that. It, obviously, yes, you don't have as much travel, but but it's it's you feel like the trackpad has travel when it doesn't. So there's something to this. Mm. I, um, I I I don't know if it's far enough along, but I'd like to believe it because it has no maintenance. It would be completely spill proof. It'd be awesome. I think it could be great. Speaking of other things that are great, what if there were two new AirPods models? Oh, that's just getting silly now, isn't it? I mean, how many AirPods can one usefully have? I've just stumped up for the latest ones, and now suddenly they may not be the latest ones or the latest ones. Oh, ah, just what right. gives. So, so, talking about this, there are two new AirPod models that are rumored to ship at the end of 2019 or in the beginning of 2020. Uh, one model is expected to have an all-new form factor at a higher price, and the second model looks about the same in design and cost. And the biggest changes here beyond the possible external design shift are, are basically in manufacturing. The idea is to shift to a new design to improve assembly yield, save internal space, and cut cost. These are all good things, yes. Except the bit where you said higher yeah. cost, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, higher cost for an all-new form factor, but for the existing one, if they can cut cost, then that's something. Yes, they're not going to give me back any of my money, though, are they? So No, they're not. In fact, they wouldn't even charge any less, probably. They'd probably charge the same amount and just make more money. Yeah, I'm starting to think it's a good thing I'm so rich that I can regard AirPods as just disposable. You know, pick up a pack of razors, pick up an AirPod, that kind of thing. That would that would work. Absolutely, yeah. I would like crisps and two AirPods, please. Yeah. I do secretly right. fancy this thing I, I hear about noise cancelling because I, I, a friend showed me noise cancelling headphones and they were utterly wonderful. Um, and I didn't appreciate how wonderful they were until I then took them off again. Um, and then I, I saw the price. Uh, so, you know, but yeah. I'm, I'm on that well, so Bose Quiet Comforts are sort of the standard for airline travel. Um, Pioneer has some Pioneer Rays where their earbuds powered off lightning or, or USB-C, but they have six microphones in them, and they use the six different microphones to noise cancel, and they do it really well. So if you can do that with an AirPod, that gets incredible. Yes. Mm. Um, so the the remainder of this report, which actually comes from Ming-Chi Kuo, is focusing on what suppliers are expected to benefit or be hurt by this shift. So Unitech is expected to be hurt. Amcor, Luxture, and Goertech, who are existing suppliers, will gain the majority of the component and assembly orders for these new AirPods. The sources that you're talking about, the rumor you're talking about, is whether or not a new AirPods model would incorporate noise cancellation. Mm. That would have a battery impact, but if yeah. they're able to offset that by saving space and then using that extra space to add more battery capacity, then it just works. Now, none of this mentions any of the reported health monitoring features. We, we've been talking about health features, but we don't know anything about that here. No, except I might need some healthcare support, as I think I've just this second decided I'm going to have to buy the new AirPods whenever they come out. Okay, yeah. who can I uh, gift these current ones in my ears to? Uh, yeah. Well, first you've got to clean them. Oh, okay. Because they're disgusting. Oh, okay. Well, right. Uh, Every need to get personal on the podcast. Thank you. Yes. Uh. <laughs> no, but I mean, seriously, if you're going to share something from your ears, please clean them. Okay. <sighs> yeah. So anyway, despite this is something that we believe is absolutely probably certainly going to happen because it's not just Ming-Chi Kuo, it's also Digitimes. Now, Digitimes isn't exactly the source that we want to talk about as being the, the industry sources that we go to. But when all of them are talking about it, yeah. it seems like there's a good shot, right? There is still one so, source that I rate above all others, um, and it's Apple. Um, so when they finally say it, <laughs> then well, yeah, with you. But then it's no longer rumor, is it? Yeah, you see, it's a fine line there for it. Only they know really what they're doing in the end. Yes. True, yes. true. So... You know, Digitimes also cites the noise cancellation function and it says that it will affect battery life, that offsetting that is difficult to achieve in devices small like the AirPods, which is why these space-saving rumors make sense. Well, actually, serious point here. Um, I have the new AirPod 2s and, and I really like them. I, I mean, I adore them. I, I Can I now, in all conscience, recommend them to anybody if AirPods 3 and 4... Uh, are coming down the pipe quite that soon. At the end of the year, we're only in April, but it's not that far away. You you might not go buying a new iPhone today, for example, because September's coming up. What do you think? Yeah. Where do we stand? I I think, as always, it comes down to what you need and what you need right now. Yeah, I know that makes sense, but I didn't really need AirPods 2. I just wanted them, and now I've got them. I don't want to go back to AirPods wand so that only works up to a certain point i have a friend who conducts a lot of business while sitting in traffic and he didn't have a carplay system and telling him to spend lots of money on installing a carplay system wasn't going to be the answer he bought some airpods he can use them perfectly well in the car they sound great they don't have noise cancellation but they may as well they sound so good that it doesn't matter and uh, did did he need them right then yeah absolutely he needed them right then do you need them right now? Maybe not. So would I advise him to go out and buy them? Yeah, absolutely. Would I advise you? Maybe not. Can we just throw in for you know, purposes of safety, really, wearing headphones while driving may not be an optimum experience. Um, I'm not sure if I said, well, sitting in traffic. Well, sitting, well, parked in traffic. Okay. <laughs> 
There are laws here, I presume, in the States as well, uh, about how you yeah. can't use your mobile phone unless your car is actually put and, you know, handbrake on, engine off, and stuff like that. So, um, um, not, not sh- quite that restrictive. Right. Depends on what we have. We don't have one rule for the whole country about that. We have 50 rules for the whole country and about that. And more than that, we have, you know, regional rules, even more so. But, you know, you you tend to get them ruled by states. We get 50 different rules about what you can or can't do in your car. Some say you can't put things in your windshield. Some things you can only put them on the side of your windshield, you know. And and as long as uh, you're compliant with whatever the local laws are, you tend to be okay. Even if you drive from one state into another? When you drive from one state into another, you're now under that state's jurisdiction. You've got to comply with whatever their rule is. So Even you if you don't California, know what the rule change is. You have to rip out your sat-nav from you your screen. Have to, uh, well, you don't rip it out from your screen, but you have to take it off your windshield. Okay, and just hold it in your lap for a bit while looking down and drive it. Really, Something this like is that. not yeah. the safest podcast we've ever done here, isn't it? Let's just say... Well, so let's let's give a blanket yeah. statement that encourages people to keep their eyes ahead on the road in front of them and not look at devices or be distracted while driving. There you go. And, and by the way, Siri hands-free is one of the ways you can use your technology to avoid being distracted while driving. Okay. Safe? I, Fair? I think so. I was running it over in my head. I thought, you know, yep, that works. Yes, uh, I feel happier now. Thank you very much for indulging feel me. feel safer though. already. Yes. I can <laughs> step out on the road without even looking. Any- no, it's going down a different route now. Yes. But that's a different AirPods complaint. <laughs> yes. People walking around in the streets, crossing the roads without paying attention and having things in their ears. Yeah, that's but that's been a rumored problem for years. That's been people complaining about white headphones and white earbuds for years. I will tell you, though, I'm quite shocked how often recently I've seen people wearing AirPods having conversations, sometimes with other people who are also wearing AirPods. Uh, the first time I noticed it, it, was, it looked like a couple on a date. And I thought, seriously, man, take those out. Talk to your partner. She's putting up with you enough. But they were talking. But they were talking to their partner. Just remotely over Siri or something. Okay. Mm. Well, now, so this is this is the thing, is that there have been some editorials that I've seen that take your view, that if you're not actively listening to something, take them out, because it's a social barrier, because it, it makes people think that you're not listening to them or paying attention to them. And maybe you aren't. But my view is that I see more and more people wearing these things all the time, even when they're not listening to anything, that it has become socially acceptable to keep them in. And because there is a feature that allows you to use them as sort of a, a noise cancellation sort of hearing aid kind of thing, they can sort of augment the uh, the sound around you using the microphone. As an assistive technology, this is great because it normalizes the idea of of assisting people with hearing deficiencies. That, that if you had a hearing problem, you could wear AirPods and no one would suspect a thing, which is great. Oh, sorry. I've been listening to Kate Bush of my AirPods while you were talking. What were you saying there about socially acceptable? Yes. <sighs> I do. I, uh, the first one I saw that first couple, I did seriously wonder if it's a hearing aid uh, issue because that's a marvelous feature that Apple does with iPhones and AirPods. Yeah. I, I think it's great to... You know, yes, they look a little dorky, but no more. It, once everyone's doing it, it's no longer dorky, or maybe it is, but we just everyone does it, so it's accepted. I I think that the sort of complainerism that we're hearing about how you should take them out because it's a social barrier. There, there's something to that if you're speaking to someone and they pull the Kate Bush thing that you just pulled, mm-hmm. but at the same time. I think that's just something we have to adapt around or adapt to because the benefits outweigh that. I'm not with you on this. I, I will always take the AirPods out if I'm talking to somebody. And I'll also take it out when I'm not listening to somebody because if I just leave them in there um, and they fall out, which doesn't happen very often, but it happens, I won't notice if nothing's playing through it. So I could suddenly find them gone. And I've spent a lot of money on these. So I take them out, I put them in the case, and I'm happy. And polite, happy and polite. What more could we want? Happy, polite, and safe. That's the moral for today. Yes. It is. That is the moral for today. Right. We should do a little bit of stock news for 10 seconds here. All right. Let's ruin the happy bits. Okay. <laughs> Who's stock Let me news? bring you down yes. on another note. So Goldman Sachs raised their price target for Apple stock to $182. 
It had been 140. Oh, Why did they bump it up $40? Um, were they in a good mood as well? They were. They were happy. They were happy, William. No, they, they believe that demand in China is no longer an issue. Oh, really? They believe, they are anticipating that Apple will beat its guidance for the upcoming financial results. That seems quite quick for an economy to turn around. Um, I just being naive there. I think you're right to be skeptical in any event, but there there are mixed results about demand for the iPhone. Goldman Sachs believes that market checks indicate no further deterioration of demand in China. So they, they think it's not getting any worse. Um, European consumer sentiment implies the possibility for worse demand in Europe. So, so they're kind of pessimistic about the next iPhone releases. They're pessimistic about that, but they think that Apple can deliver better than the consensus review revenue for the March quarter. So they're they're pretty happy with with this quarter. They're putting it up for this, but they're a little skeptical about what's going to happen later in the year. Do we know anything about um, Samsung's um, projected fortunes yet? You know, I really don't. But Samsung is is sort of all over the map here because they pulled back on shipping the Samsung Fold after we recorded last week's episode. Yes. They have, in in different outlets, said that they are going to ship it again. Some of them suggest they're going to start shipping it in the summer. It's it's unclear. Yeah, but they weren't really obviously expecting to sell that very many. Uh, uh, at well, it was a premium device at a premium price, but you want two thousand dollars for this thing. So I can't imagine they were going to sell a whole ton of them, but it does need to work and not be damaged by people thinking it's a screen protector. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Now, I had some great emails with one of our listeners, uh, Abel, and Abel was, was speaking with me about Intel and Qualcomm, and did Intel make this move before Qualcomm settled? Did Intel make this move in response to Qualcomm's settlement? Did Apple make this move as opposed uh, uh, being aware that Intel couldn't supply what what they needed? And we were just sort of talking around this. And I think the end analysis that we came up with was was that. Um, well, I'm not sure that we actually came to a resolved analysis. Abel, if you're listening, thank you so much for that. That was really cool. Please feel free to have conversations with us. Email me at william at appleinsider.com. Email william at victor at appleinsider.com, and we'll sort it out. But no, no, seriously, I really enjoyed this. We were talking about this, and it, it makes sense that Apple moved away from Intel because Intel wasn't able to address things like CDMA. Intel was having difficulties getting parts that could maintain the same speeds as Qualcomm's part. And the CDMA to LTE transition has not been fast enough for it to matter. They'd still have to support CDMA, whoever they went with. So it just makes sense for Apple to use Qualcomm for now. I still think that Qualcomm, that Apple's going to make their own modems at some point, but we're probably not going to see those in products until at the earliest, 2021, 2022, maybe even 2023. So Qualcomm is is going to be the supplier for now, I would think. Do you agree, William? Well, I've always considered you the Qualcomm expert, but that all seems to fit. Uh, I was going to say fit the facts. Uh, it fits all the suppositions I've heard about things. So uh, I'm going to go with yes. Yes. Hmm. Right. Welcome to this segment of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is Josh from Focal. How's it going? It's good. So you're here at MoogFest. Yes, sir. Tell me a little bit about... What brings Focal to Moogfest? So um, we are good friends of, of a couple of the guys at Moog, um, and they're kind of trendsetters, we think, especially in the synthesizer marketplace, really the MI marketplace. Um, and we play a, a, a definite part in the studio monitor and headphone world there, and we said, okay, well, what better place to kind of establish ourselves with, with, uh, with Moog and the cool things they're doing, but to, to be here and have a presence here and, and kind of co-market some things, so. Um, we're here, and it's been great so far. So for our listeners who aren't familiar, tell me a little bit about what it is that Focal makes. What do you guys do? Yeah, so Focal is a, a French company. Um, we are based in Saint-Étienne, France. Um, been in business since the late 70s. Um, originally started actually making drivers. Um, the, the owner, Jacques, um, was making drivers in the corner of his dad's machine shop, um, and eventually kind of outgrew it, and he made drivers for a number of companies, um, you know, that, you know, into products you've probably heard, and eventually decided he wanted to move off on his own. Um, and today, years later, we make you know five hundred thousand uh, dollar Grand Utopia Hi-Fi speakers that you know are the tip top of of you know what's available um, there. But 
primarily my my interest really is the pro market. So we deal with recording studios, um, you know, monitoring systems there, as well as you know, kind of cons I don't want to say consumer level, but but uh, intro introductory level headphones, all the way up to you know, insanely expensive headphones as well. Right. So a lot of our listeners, I would say, are familiar with things like Apple AirPods or the HomePod, and and of course have their own favorite headphones when they were listening to iPods a few years ago. So what, what would you say is the difference between those kinds of listening experiences and something that Focal provides? Well, I, I think the Apple earpods, earbuds, AirPods, I'm sorry, not AirPods. I, I love AirBud, but, you know, um, but, uh, you know, those are made really for a, a consumer experience, which I think is fine for the guy who's on the go um, all the time and wants something small and easy to put in his pocket. Um, it's it's an incredible solution. I've got five pairs of them that end up in the dryer or whatever all the time. Uh, Focal's intention is really to design things that that are on the cutting edge of what we can do. I mean, half of Focal's R&D department's actually research and development for the machines that build the products that we make. Um, so precision engineering, all of those things are, are things we put into our products, and the result is an experience that's a lot more, significantly more detailed, significantly more dynamic um, than what's coming out of your, your, you know, your AirPod or your, your earbuds. So um, not to say that those aren't a good thing, but it's an entirely different experience. So if you're really a music lover or you want that fidelity, um, you know, we have a number of great solutions that can work for you. So how do you actually get to that fidelity? What is, what's involved in reproducing audio correctly here? Yeah, so there's, there's a number of things, but the, the three things that really make for any great transducer, and I'm not just talking, you know, an, an earbud, but a speaker. I mean, at the end of the day, they're all converting um, electricity in, into air, right? That It's moving into your ear canal. And, that's, and the easiest way to do that is to reduce mass, increase rigidity of the driver, um, and increase efficiency. So... You know, the goal is to make that speaker as rigid to reproduce whatever's coming in and spit it out. The goal is if we could have anything that's coming out come out exactly the same on the other end, right? So you can hear the intention of the music as it's being recorded, as it's intended to be recorded. Um, obviously, we don't live in a vacuum, so that's impossible to a certain extent. Um, but uh, we do a lot of things that, that are really, really allow the nuance and detail of, of the program material the music you're listening to, the podcast you're listening to. Um, you know, you'll hear clicks and pops and weird things in your favorite records that you'd never even realized were there, um, you know, if you're used to listening on something like a, an AirPod. And, and what kinds of materials do you use? Because, you know, that's one of the things that we, as, as sort of Apple fans, talk about is mm -hmm. the, you know, the aluminum of the Mac MacBook yeah, yeah, or the, the, uh, the, the glass back of the iPhone. Yeah. Yeah, was, what's what's involved here? Yeah, so I mean, there's a ton of engineering going to Apple products. I mean, I've been using Apple products, you know, since 2006. I think when I was in high school, and that's always something that's been incredible. And that's definitely something Focal's taken in mind as well. Um, there are a number of engineering things that we do. So every single thing that we design, aside from a couple products, the less expensive products that are made overseas, um, are made in our factory in Saint Etienne, France. Um, and we use things like rigid fiberglass, which, you know, literally layers of glass that go into a driver. Um, our headphones specifically use um, beryllium and aluminum, um, magnesium um, components, drivers to make that. So um, beryllium is kind of our standout. That's kind of what Focal is known for. Beryllium is a pure element. It's on the periodic table. It's literally one of the lightest, most rigid metals on the face of the planet. Um, NASA, on the underside of their space shuttles, it's all black tiles. They're like one one by one uh, foot a piece, and those are made out of pure beryllium. The same thing we build our drivers and a lot of our headphones and our tweeters and our speakers with. Um, that one by one square foot tile is five hundred thousand dollars, right? So we're machine, yeah. So we're machining our tweeters and our drivers and a lot of our products out of that same material because it's so light, it's so rigid that exactly what comes in goes out. When you're doing this kind of thing, can I just plug these directly into my my you know my iPhone using an adapter for lightning, or can I plug them in my laptop or or a three point five? Sure, you can. Um, you're definitely not going to get the most out of it. You know, it's like it's like putting a you know I'm trying to think of a good analogy. You know, it's like putting square wheels on a Ferrari. You know, it's like yeah, it's not. It'll go well. Square wheels probably isn't the best <laughs> best thing, but it, you know it'll go down the road. But it's not going to go as fast if you had a pair of 
you know, super expensive Michelins on it or, or something like that. Right? So you can definitely do that with most of our products. There's not all of them, um, but a vast majority of them have a, a low input impedance, so you can drive them with your, uh, your, your iPhone or your MacBook Pro. However, keep in mind, all of our headphones, we don't have any conversion in them. So um, you are relying on the D to A converter, the digital to analog converter in your phone to do that work for you. Um, depending on what you're using to stream, that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, we could go into the whole gamut of streaming services and Spotify and Apple Music and how they're, you know, they're... Um, who's compressing what? Who's their codecs the are doing what. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things. And I think you have to really consider the use, right? If I'm driving down the street or if I'm on the subway, I'm really not, you know, I'm passively listening, like I like to say. But if you're, you know, if you take that same set of headphones and you want to sit at home and work on your laptop in your office or your library or whatever, you know, I'm getting some other digital to analog converter that's of higher quality will definitely make a significant difference in your listening experience. Um, there's a number of little plug and play Apple iOS, Apogee make a, a little headphone amp that plugs in lightning. It's maybe three by one inch. Um, it's bus powered, Sig sounds significantly better. I mean, we're talking 30 dB improvement in signal to noise ratio and dynamic range. Um, so there's definitely something to be said for that, but you know, you're gonna gain a lot even without a solution like that. Right, you know, I have a, a Creative Labs uh, Super X5. That's the same kind of idea. Yeah, so you'll definitely see a massive improvement um, you'll definitely see a massive improvement going from just improving the headphone, just improving the, dr the driver. You're going to see a, the larger, you know, increase in quality there, but you're still not getting the most out of it as you, as you would if you use an external device. What do you use when you're listening? Personally, I use a, we have a, a, a D to A converter um, called an S, and it's made by a company called SPL. They're a German, high, super high fidelity, um, no expense spared. Um, they make outboard gear for mastering engineers. A lot of the music that you listen to on a day-to-day -day basis is mastered through SPL mastering gear. Um, yeah, at home I use um, an SPL monitor. Um, Sound Performance Labs um, is a company in Germany. They make mastering uh, equipment, equalizers, compressors, mastering transfer consoles, things like that. And they make this terrific headphone amplifier that also has a DAC built in um, that gives you a lot of a lot of great flexibility. Um, you know, including, you know, the ability to kind of make it sound like if it's speakers in a freestanding room, so opposed to just getting the signal, you know, when you're listening to speakers in a space, you have two speakers and some of the left speaker's information is getting into your right ear and some of the right speaker is getting into your left ear. You don't have that with headphones. They're just two kind of speakers strapped to your, hey, your, you know, your face. So um, they have a, a thing called crossfeed that allows you to kind of have more of a natural ambient experience like you would listen to a pair of speakers. Yeah, you know, that's the problem is when you're listening in a room, you've got all the uh, the room noise, you've got the placement of the speakers in the room, you've got the listening position, and with headphones, you have left and right. Yeah, and, and you know, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it, and it's hard to, you know, in my mind, the goal is always you want to experience the music as the artist intended. Um, and it's hard to know if they recorded and made that record on a pair of headphones or if they made it in a recording studio. You know, you'd like to think that it's the latter is the case most of the time. Um, but anymore, with the technology involved and, you know, this cool little iRig duo you have right here, um, who, who's to say that that, uh, that record wasn't made on one of those with exclusively headphones? So, you know, I think it's for us to use our own, our own choice and, and kind of see what works best for, for the user. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much. Anytime. Thanks so much for having me. I've been using Apple Insider forever. Um, I think I waited years and years and years for the uh the trash can mac pro to come out and like apple insider every day for you know every day for you know however many years after my cheese grater mac pro took the dive so um but yeah i appreciate the time and, and I'm very happy to be here where should we check out focal's products how do we find out more yep so go to focalprofessional.com um to see all of our products and uh or just focal.com we've got multiple ip fantastic hey thanks for the time thanks Welcome to this segment of the Apple Insider Podcast. Uh, I'm Victor. I'm recording with David from Sensel. And we're here in the WUNC studios. We're actually taking advantage of a proper radio studio location for once. So if you hear a difference in sound quality, that might be why. Well, thank you, Victor. It's great to be here. Uh, it's been a great Moogfest so far. It just started. 
It did. Tell me a little bit about what Sencel is. I've seen it in, in past Moog Fests. I've seen it, uh, gosh, I think I saw it at CES one year. It's, it's a device that's been around for a little while, but it's always changing and always always uh, developing new features. Yeah, so Sensel as a company works with a technology, a proprietary technology called Pressure Grid, which allows for pressure sensitive control. Um, it actually has a number of implementations, including some uh, new ones that we're working on for cell phones and laptop trackpads. But the main uh, implementation that we have right now is an instrument or rather a platform called the Morph. So the Morph is a piece of hardware with the pressure grid on it and it can transmit data through USB, through Bluetooth, uh, can go direct to a Raspberry Pi or an Arduino. And um, for, you know, for musicians, what it's great for is you can use it for MIDI and MIDI polyphonic expression. Um, because the morph is so sensitive, you can use a variety of rubberized overlays, which have different um, which have different kind of designs for musicians, so for, uh, for, for what you're doing. So for example, there's the piano overlay, which is a piano keyboard. There's the drum pads, which is drum pads that you can play with hands or sticks. There's um, music production overlay, which gives you kind of finger sample pads, plus a small keyboard and some knobs. Um, you can also design your own if you'd like. And the overlay that we just launched, the one that's brand new, is called the Bukla Thunder overlay. That's a collaboration with the legendary Bukla USA uh, company, uh, formed by Don Buchla all these years ago, back in the 70s, or the 60s rather, makers of the Buchla synthesizer. And it's the first time they've ever done a partner hardware controller. So we are very excited to be working with them. It brings, especially with MIDI polyphonic expression, a dimension of playing to electronic instruments that you really usually only get with acoustic ones. Now, one of the things that our our, our listeners might want to know about the Sensel and Morph specifically is that it's besides the piano keyboard, besides all the music applications, that you could get a traditional QWERTY keyboard layout for it. Yes. You could, you know, you could use it for uh, for an iPad or for Mac or whatever else as a normal just input device. Yeah. But you've also got a customized layout for Adobe Premiere that can also be made to work with Final Cut. Yes. So we have a number of different layouts for different functions. There's a game controller because it can transport hid data. There's um, a layout for Adobe Premiere that can transport key commands and can be adapted for Final Cut Pro. There's, yeah, and then there's the QWERTY keyboard, which actually has um, mini switches on it that we designed in the rubberized overlay, so you actually do get the haptic feedback. And what's great is that at any moment you can switch between these overlays by simply peeling one off and putting another on. And they're held in place by magnets, and the way that those magnets work, actually, the positioning of the magnets that hold them in place also tells the more firmware which overlay it is. So without touching anything in software, if I'm making music and then I suddenly want to open up a word processor and switch to typing something, I can do it very quickly. Um, and so it really becomes this wonderful device with multiple uses and kind of a value add. So, you know, you buy something maybe for a piano keyboard, you also get a Bluetooth keyboard that can be used with a tablet or with anything that accepts Bluetooth or USB. And you can also use all of these music things with applications that are on, on the Mac, for example. Yes. So what are the sorts of applications that someone might want to consider if they were going to, say, get the, the Buchla layout with this? So it's great in particular for what's called MIDI polyphonic expression, which is a new uh, kind of MIDI protocol or a recent one, which allows for individual expression per note. So polyphony, you play multiple notes, and then each note, there's the pressure of your finger initially, there's the aftertouch pressure as your finger lingers on the note, there's the X and Y coordinates of where your finger is on a note area, and uh, the Buchla Thunder is designed to really take advantage of that. It also does traditional MIDI with different coordinates, um, but what would be where, where it would be great would be something like on a Mac if you're using an app like Logic, which natively supports MPE, as does GarageBand, uh, which is basically Logic Lite, and everyone gets that with with a with a Mac. Um, other digital audio workstations that support it would be uh, Bitwig Studio and uh, Cubase also support it, and then there are others that are kind of on the way. But it also via MIDI works with any DAW that you might be working with. So additionally, if you're in, you know, Ableton Live or Reaper or Pro Tools, anything that's, that accepts MIDI, it'll work with. Um, a great application on a Mac, yeah, would just be any synthesizer that you want to be able to play more expressively than you can, certainly more expressively than if you're pointing and clicking with a piano roll. Also more expressively than with a traditional keyboard where you kind of have the keys on or the keys off and sometimes there's velocity. Um, you know, with these keys you really can map different things and it opens up new worlds for expressiveness and for sound design. Uh, you know, one, one comparison that I like to use, for example, is 
if you compare playing most synthesizers where you either press the key or let the key up, and maybe there's a little bit of velocity, to playing a note on the guitar where you strike it, but it's not just hitting the note, it's how hard you hit it with the pick. And then it's, are you moving the finger around on the fret? You know, does, are you going to put a vibrato on it? You get that kind of expression with digital, with software synthesizers, if you're using uh, the Buchla Thunder overlay on the Sensil Morph. Can you use Sensil Morph with iOS? Are there, are there audio programs that it works with there? Oh yeah, a lot. Uh, one of the coolest things that we've seen is that there's a burgeoning community of people using, in particular, the music production overlay with Beatmaker 3 for the iPad, which is a very popular beat studio. Um, you can use it with, yeah, with any iOS synthesizer that accepts MIDI. It's very easy to just connect via Bluetooth. I use it on my phone all the time to control the Moog synthesizers. There's also an app called Spacecraft, which is a granular synthesizer that accepts MIDI polyphonic expression, which is great because then I get that extra dimension. But anything that accepts MIDI or MPE, either or both, uh, on iOS, fully works. Um, and then there's also a special mode. If you want to connect it by a, a cable, there is a special mode that you can enable on the Morph so that you can connect it via a cable to the, um, the Thunderbolt or the USB-C inputs on, an I, on any iOS device. Um, Lightning. Yeah, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Lightning. Oh. USB-C is iPad Pro, Lightning is the rest of the devices, and, right. and you know we keep using these meteorological terms for all of them. It's easy to get confused. Yes. Sorry about that. <laughs> Lightning. Yeah. Yes, Thunderbolt is on the Mac. Yeah. Or was on the Mac before it all went well, USB-C. Well, no, no, it, it still is because those ports are USB-C and Thunderbolt on ah, the Mac. I see, okay. And it's, it's one of the things that we've talked about on this program before is how much of a nightmare that is because you can either buy the affordable cable or the expensive cable. And depending on which cable you use, things will either work or not. Oh, yikes. <laughs> uh, I myself am still married to Mac. So, you know, it's, uh, I, I stick with it through thick and thin. When you're using Sensil, you were mentioning one application that you use. What's, what's your normal setup? What do you like to use most? What do you gravitate to? So a normal setup with Sensil, so my main kind of axe for music production is often Ableton Live, uh, which does not currently support MPE, but there's great MIDI implementation for it. So one thing I might do is I might open Ableton Live, and I'll open one track and I'll have the music production overlay and that one I'll use for drumming in the style of, you know, these 4x4 four four pad uh, samplers, right? Um, and then once I've got a drum beat going, I'll create another track and I'll put a synthesizer on it or something, you know, something tonal. And then I'll swap it out with the piano overlay. And then once that's done, I might want to get more into sound design or into playing differently. And I'll swap it out with the Buchla Thunder overlay. And what's nice is, in each one, it's like I'm putting on a different controller if I want it to be. And there's, no, there's nothing else that I have to do other than physically swapping out the overlays. So it's nice for me because I can do it with a very small footprint. It travels well. Um, you know, it doesn't take up a lot of disk space. And it just it keeps that kind of flow state going. And there really is a difference, I find, in playing things expressively versus using sequencers, which can also be good. But I think playing expressively as well adds this kind of human element to it. Um, if I want to use MIDI polyphonic expression, what I might do is open up Logic or Bitwig Studio. And there I might use a synthesizer like the Madrona Labs Alto, which is a, a beautiful uh, MPE supporting synth that's designed in the style of the old Buchla synths. Uh, so it has what you would call a West Coast modular flare, very experimental. Um, or I might use something like Audio Damage Quanta or uh, the F Expansion, the new synth from F Expansion, which also support MPE. A lot of synths are getting in on this. So yeah, and then in that case, you get this kind of whole new realm of expression. And then I'd record that in Logic or Bitwig. How did the Spookla partnership come about? It's interesting. It was actually, um, so it was, it, it happened a little bit before I joined the company. And as I understand it, it was at Moogfest last year or two years ago. There were people who'd known each other for a few years. There are uh, colleagues of mine, including one uh, who's not here right now, who had known some people at Buchla and they just got to talking. And, you know, we have this expressive interface and Don Buchla, who passed away a few years ago, was really, you know, was into expressive interfaces and also into interfaces for playing that weren't necessarily in the traditional canon of what we have. So, you know, the piano keyboard that we're used to, that was for the piano forte, that was for a specific instrument, right? right. The Buchla Thunder, when he designed it originally in 1989, was based on two things. One was to have something that felt really natively expressive to the fingers, so you just, your fingers can latch onto it. You don't have to necessarily have trained them what to do, you just can 
express natively. The other thing was actually Don was very inspired by Native American artwork, which is why you have kind of um, the design is similar a bit to. Uh, uh, it's like a Thunderbird. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So and uh, that was where, you know, Don's design came from. It's still you can still see it now, actually, in the system 200 that the Buchla uh, does, the 200E. Um, there's a controller that uh, has that same layout. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they'd never brought this to something, uh, to a medium that was not a modular synthesizer. And uh, it's cool to bring it to this medium. It's also more affordable and accessible. And it's just been a pleasure to work with them. You know, I mean, th this is a group of super inspired, super dedicated, creative people. And uh, it's really just been an excellent match. Yeah, they, you know, when I think of Bukla, I associate them strongly with the, uh, the, the work of Susan Chiani. Yes because for, for years that was her synthesizer and the part of the reason she went for it was not only the sound but that it was portable. Yes. So Suzanne is an incredible musician. Um, we've met with her. Um, I've also personally interviewed her before elsewhere as well. Uh, she is she's really uh, a force in electronic music. I mean obviously between her work with the Buchla, her work as an ambient musician and a, a new age pianist and then also her work as a sound designer. I mean she really just knows this in and out. And um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, she definitely she still uses that that Buchla controller with her synthesizer setup, and we have shown her the morph, and uh, she loved it. And, uh, we gave her a nice demo during Nam. It was a lot of fun to have her just kind of go nuts with it and see what she does. And I mean, obviously, no one plays these things like she does. And um, yeah, actually, we just recently met up with her. Uh, she played in the Bay Area where our home offices, so a few of us met up with her and just said hi again, and we're, you know, now that we've got the morphs in stock, we're looking to, to get her one into, or the, the Book of Thunder overlays, rather, and to see what she can do with it. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, David, thank you so much. Where should people find out more about Morph? So you can head to sensel.com slash morph. Um, and that'll be, that's your resource for it. Uh, the Book of Thunder overlay is now shipping. Um, and uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to see what people are making. Well, thank you so much for joining us. William, where can people find you on the internet? I am forever lurking at william at uh, appleinsider.com. Lurking so much, I had to think about it then. Sorry about that. Um, and on Twitter is <laughs> W Gallagher, clearly. Fantastic. I'm, I'm V Marks on Twitter. I'm Victor at appleinsider.com. And this has been Victor and Biohazard William. We will be back next week. <laughs> Bye.